WFM HD3 Baltimore, brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel. The views and opinions of the guest and host you hear are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Radio One, its sponsors, or advertisers. like to thank the people that are here to support this bill. Where y'all at? Okay. And I also would like to give thanks to all these petitioners, because we actually consulted the people in the neighborhood. We got there, you know, we wanted to know how they felt about what was going on in their communities. Unlike a lot of these agencies, we actually consulted the people in the communities. Okay. And we got almost a thousand names uh, on these uh, petition forms. Some of them are still out. So, and what the petition says is, to, uh, to Mayor Pugh, the Baltimore City Council, Governor Hogan, the Maryland State Legislature, and the U.S. Congress. Yes, I agree that we should, one, end the displacement of people in, from their neighborhoods and end the destruction of their communities just to give land and taxpayer subsidies to developers and investors. Two, introduce the, fir- the 1% interest renovation slash rebuilding loan dollar house dollar lot program because the house will be built from the ground up for the individual citizen as a fairest way to ensure funds earmarked for the community are used to help the people who actually live there with training, jobs, and home ownership. Number three, end the destruction of the remaining affordable housing stock in Baltimore, a city with a documented lack of affordable housing. I've seen people walking around the streets scared to death. But you know what? If they live in a decent house, that they will eventually have a deed to, they straighten up their back. They have a little bit of pride. If you see those brothers slinging on the corner, if they had a trade, they could know how to go and make a decent living and don't have to run from the police. We have a murder rate of almost 300 young people in this city. Suppose somebody gave a tenth of them a job where they could take a paycheck to the bank and cash it for real dollars. And suppose me, a 68-year lady, doesn't have to worry, I got to get out of here before it gets too dark. Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is real simple. Help the brother that's trying to help the rest of us. We got his back. And if you play your cards right, we'll have your back. We've got to be the the, the lightning rod in this nation because every urban city in this country, through conspiracies, find themselves with thousands of abandoned houses don't tell me that's not by design we've got to break out of that genocidal approach to people who want to live and have a right to to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness let there be no doubt justice delayed is justice denied change again change again 
Hello, Baltimore, and welcome to the Call Tyrone Show. I'm your humble host, Tyrone Boast, and I'm here today for another exciting special edition of the Call Tyrone Show. Now, uh, last week we uh, we we exposed the fact that a lot of this blight that uh, that happened and and the, and the crisis, the housing crisis that happened, that was blamed on black people. That happened, by the way, <laughs> that happened back uh, when, during the housing crisis. A lot of it was a result of predatory lending that was targeted directly at the black community. You had people getting subprime loans that qualify for better loans because there was no requirement in the law that you tell them that they qualify for a better loan. So you had people getting these expensive loans. The reason being is they were incentivized to um, target the black community. Um, and uh, as a matter of fact, uh, that you had mortgage uh, brokers making seven times as much money on these subprime loans that they, they can make on a regular uh, prime loan. So it was more beneficial to you to target a community that you didn't uh, necessarily like. And then and the Latinos suffered as well, but not as much as the black community. So it's more beneficial to you um, to to target somebody that you didn't necessarily care about. And um, and I, I'm not saying they didn't like us. And um, make more money. Just make more money. You know, you don't have to treat them. They're animals. You don't have to treat them um, like, like a human being. I mean, why, why give them human rights? They're not humans. So uh, what, what, what I, first of all, I'm going to give you a, a re- uh, introduction of what we was talking about and uh what i need jason what i need you to do is go ahead and play do they hate us uh clip one yeah so this uh is important in essentially every um metropolitan area that had uh any meaningful black population uh redlining may have begun in baltimore but it was a nationwide uh, phenomenon it was introduced by the U.S. government. Uh, it gets its name because literally they would uh, draw with a red pen on uh, a map and not loan or not provide uh, federal um, mortgage protection uh, to uh, any mortgages issued in that uh, portion of the city. And what it would was particularly aimed at was not neighborhoods that were already um, majority and or almost exclusively black, but any change from an area that used to be overwhelmingly white to uh, a area that was desegregated. Uh, the theory of this was, oh my God, prices will collapse because of white racism uh, if somebody uh, who's black moves into the neighborhood and we, the federal government, are guaranteeing the lenders against losses. The lenders will suffer significant losses. They'll pass them on to us. And so, you know, it's, we, we don't have anything against blacks. We just don't want to lose money. And we realize that uh, many whites are racist. So uh, this is how we're going to protect ourselves. Well, I mean, the reality is that, that, that this is, in many ways, when you look at the history of this, this was really a conspiracy in many ways involving um, the Federal Reserve, involving the federal government, involving people who sold real estate. And, you know, and they did hate black people. I mean, they really disliked black folks. And that was, I mean, it was pretty clear to me that these were not uh, do-gooders trying to help the world. And they, they <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right? <laughs> Again, not me uh, saying that. Uh, these are two white guys talking amongst themselves. And one of those guys, by the way, is, is uh, Bill Black. He's an associate professor 
of Law and Economics at uh, uh, University of Missouri, uh, Kansas. Okay. And he also wrote the book, The Best Way to Rob a Bank is to Own One. And he's also a white collar criminologist. So I think he knows a little bit about what he's talking about. But what we were saying is that um, a lot of these, uh, a lot of black homeowners who had their homes for years, paid, you know, they're going to pay the mortgage off for years. Some for generations lost their homes due to people preying on them. These predatory loans, you would have a balloon loan. And um, the balloon, you know, you could have be paying uh, $200 a month or $500 a month. And then all of a sudden, uh, three years later, it blooms up. To, you're paying $3,000 a month. So guess what? <laughs> it's time for you to move. You didn't know it three years ago, but now you know it. So um, a lot of this stuff, um, and it was, and, and you had uh, uh, one of the CEOs from uh, Morgan Chase admit to the fact that they knew, the execs knew, that they were praying the predation uh, on uh, black homeowners. And um, but they were making money. And, um, you know, he, he pretty much uh, I mean, well, he, he, he said they pretty the, the top execs pretty much blew it off. And so did Wells Fargo. They, I think Wells Fargo called them uh, mud loans. And then um, that and I think the uh, Morgan Chase called them ghetto loans. But they had they had cold words for what what they were doing. So and this is this is all has, has been documented. Um, and again, I don't hate white people. OK. <laughs> and, um, you know, there are some good white people. I knew uh, um uh, for instance, uh, the, one, the guy that led the rebellion on Harbors Ferry, uh, uh, John Brown, was a white man, okay? And his sons, he took his sons with him and led a, a slavery rebellion because he believed as a real Christian that slavery was wrong, okay? Of course, it was put down. He was hung, and they had him, you know, the people, black black people were holding up their babies to let him kiss the babies before they hung him, okay? So that's, that's how, you know, he's very revered by people, and then this white man stood up because there are good white people that will stand up when they know something's wrong because— we're the canaries in the mind. So if they can get away with it with us, the smart white people know they're next. Okay. And in my canary in the mind, I mean, in mines, they have they used to have canaries. And canaries are very sensitive to oxygen. And if they don't get enough oxygen, they die before humans do. So when you see the canaries dying, it's time for you to do something, meaning get out of that mine. So um, that that so in that way, blacks are the canary in the mind. And then the smart white people know that. If they can get away with, a, with with us, guess what? They're next. And, um, you know, I think the saying goes, they came for you in the day, and you know, they came for me in the night, you know, or, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't a Jew, or and, and so I didn't help. I wasn't, you know, a Catholic when they got the Catholics, and so I didn't help. And then when it finally came for me, there was nobody to help me. So, and, and also, um, in my own experience, when I was down at the— uh, uh, the Poe uh, Holmes uh, protest. There were white people there. Half the group were white. Um, at the Poe Holmes pro- uh, um, uh, were, were white folks at the Poe Holmes projects. But uh, protests in front of City Hall. Also, uh, when I was down at the tax hearing, you had a, a bunch of w- white folks uh, down there protesting against police brutality, uh, along with the blacks. You know, some of those organizations were almost half, half white. So I can't say that all white people are bad, just like I can't say all black people are bad. <laughs> by the same token and uh I, I don't like the phrase we need to stop killing each other because all of us are not murder murders and um what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna let um uh um uh malcolm x uh to explain this a little better than i can than i possibly can in his thing i don't hate i don't hate anyone let's hear what malcolm had to say i would say that uncle martin is my friend Uncle Martin is your friend, yet you would disagree with his 
approach to what he wants to accomplish. Definitely. If his approach would bring about uh, what the black man in America needs to completely eliminate the problem that we have, I would say well and good. But I very much doubt that uh, anyone who uh, adopts the approach that Martin Luther King has been teaching to our people in that country can point to any meaningful gains that has actually served to solve the problem. Black Muslims uh, have sometimes, whether you have or not, and I think probably you have, have sometimes, it seemed to me, been preaching hate to meet hate. Uh, I don't advocate any kind of hate. But there's a lot that, of talk that sounds very much like it. No, I think that the guilt complex of the American white man is so profound until when you begin to analyze the real condition of the black man in America, instead of the American white man eliminating the causes that create that condition, he tries to cover it up by accusing his accusers of teaching hate. But actually, they're just exposing him for being responsible for what exists. Well, that's, that's uh, something of, of an argument. But I've heard speeches made by some of the people of your group. I think I've heard you make speeches. It seemed to me that you were advocating uh, what I would have to describe, I think, as violence to meet the serious injuries that have been done your people, with which I totally agree. I don't call that violence. Uh, I don't in any way encourage black people to go out and initiate acts of aggression indiscriminately against whites. But I do believe that the black man in the United States and any human being anywhere is well within his right to do whatever is necessary by any means necessary to protect his life and property, especially in a, in a country where the federal government itself has proven that it is either uh, in, unable or unwilling to protect the lives and property of those human beings. Just before Pierre takes it, you've got a pretty good fighter and the world's heavyweight champion lined up with you to help out. Yes, Pierre. <laughs> well, Mr. X, if I guess I call you that, is that a proper uh, appellation, yes. Mr. X? I I'm wondering if you still believe, as I think you certainly did in the time you were allied to the black Muslim movement, in a segregated black nation no. in North America. No. I don't believe in any form of segregation or any form of racism. Okay, <laughs> that was uh, uh, the late great Malcolm X, and uh, Malcolm X, uh, he 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 wasn't rich. Okay, he died, probably had a hundred. And he was not the king when he died. And Malcolm X probably had a hundred fifty dollars in his pocket when he when he was shot, uh, and that's probably all the money he had in the world. But nobody remembers who the richest white man was back in nineteen sixty five. But people do remember who Malcolm X was, and that's the difference. That is the difference. The American dream is that you win for yourself. But the, the it needs to be expanded to where you went for others as well. Okay, once you once you get to where you think you want to be or you arrived or whatever, why don't you look back and try to give somebody else a hand up? You know, the more winners we have in this country, the better. So you're a true American when you want everybody to win and not just base your um, level of success on greed alone, your own personal greed. Um, so today we're going to also um, uh, debunk some other myths. Okay, we got some callers, but but today what we're going to do is we're going to um, um, just hold on, callers. We're going to do another myth, and um, one of the myths is that um, police brutality just started under Trump. Now, see, <laughs> the thing about that is there's always been po police brutality, and, and Malcolm X spoke on that often, as a matter of fact. And the Black Panthers, by the way, were formed because of police brutality. They were actually called the the, the uh, Black Panther Party of Self Defense when they first started, and they were formed to fight. Um, Police brutality. A lot of people think it was just a a, uh, a group just hated white people and they just wanted to hate on white people. But the Black Panthers did a lot of good things. They fed three hundred. 
when they at the top of their um, power, they fed three hundred thousand kids a day. They had a food program where they they actually served three hundred thousand meals to poor people a day. Um, and there were actually white people in the Black Panthers, by the way. A lot of people don't know that, you know. And um, so this mainly because of the rhetoric that was put out by the FBI, because a lot of reports that were written in the media were actually um, either authored by the FBI or influenced by the FBI. So the FBI had a a, a program called COINTELPRO. And um, by the way, that was found out by some white people that actually broke into an FBI office. Um, uh, it was, I think, a name John Rayner and... Uh, Oh, God, I forget the other lady's name. They actually broke into an FBI office during the Fraser uh, Alley fight. <laughs> so we're in the Midwest, and they stole some documents that exposed the COINTELPRO program, you know, that the FBI was spying on Dr. King and trying to blackmail him to commit suicide and things of that nature. So, um, and I'm not, I'm not ragging on the FBI. I'm just saying that there's been a history of law enforcement being used against uh, blacks in this country. You know, now, if you're committing a real crime, it's, it's certainly deserved. But if you're a Dr. King that's trying to fight for, you know, the freedom of a people, of, of all people, really, then it's certainly not merited. Uh, and uh, their main thing was to try to dis uh, to discredit our leaders. And uh, their memos explain that, that the COINTELPRO program, if you, want, if you want to do research on that. But um, uh, so let's let's go with. Just to show you, like I said, Malcolm explains things a lot better than I do, Ken. Let's, let's go to Malcolm the prophet. He was very f- prophetic. You'll be surprised what you hear. And then you can apply it to Freddie Gray while you're listening, or you can uh, um, apply it to a lot of things. But just listen. Throw bread, the white bread, inflames the white public against Negroes. The police are able to use it to paint the Negro community as a criminal element. The police are able to use the press to make the white public think that 90% or 99% of the Negroes in the Negro community are criminals. And once the white public is convinced that most of the Negro community is a criminal element, then this automatically paves the way for the police to move into the Negro community exercising Gestapo tactics Stopping any black man who is in the, on, on the sidewalk, whether he is guilty or whether he is innocent, whether he is well-dressed or whether he is poorly dressed, whether he is educated or whether he is dumb, whether he's a Christian or whether he's a Muslim, as long as he is black and a member of the Negro community, the white public thinks that the white policeman is justified in going in there and trampling on that man's civil rights and on that man's human rights. have convinced the white public that the so-called Negro community is a criminal element, they can go in and question, brutalize, murder unarmed, innocent Negroes, and the white public is gullible enough to back them up. This makes the Negro community a police state. This makes the Negro neighborhood a police state. It's the, it's the most heavily patrolled. It has more police in it than any other neighborhood, yet it has more crime in it than any other neighborhood. How can you have more cops and more crime? Why? It shows you that the cops must be in cahoots with the criminals. How can you have more cops and more crime? 
Why? It shows you that the cops must be in cahoots with the criminals. Now, now, how did how did Malcolm X know about the uh, drug trace uh, task force? Okay, so that last comment, he was saying the cops must be in cahoots with the criminals. Now, <laughs> that drug task force thing was just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people believe that they, they caught everybody. I don't believe that. And I don't. And I'm not saying all policemen are bad. I wouldn't say that. But as I said before, when you have incidents of police brutality, you have police officers that are standing around watching and they don't report it. Now, when the gentleman was arrested for um, um, brutalizing the black man, told him to take his, his charge like a man, um, the police commissioner fired him. The reason the police commission, uh, I mean, arrested him, sorry, he, the police commissioner arrested him. The reason why the police commissioner arrested him because none of the cops standing next to him arrested him. Okay? So <laughs> the only, um, to me, the only hero of that whole story was the cameras. Because, and, and the thing about cameras is now you can actually see what you, you what you didn't see because people will say well you must have did something the police beat you up you must have did something now you can see with the cameras that you didn't do anything <laughs> they decided to beat you up because some of these guys are racist you know and that's just call it what it is or some people and even some of, of the um the black cops are bought into the notion that you know the blue they, they put their blue ahead of uh administering justice to black people you know that, that blue line so and they think they're brotherhood when they you know, the Vanguard, uh, which is an organization of black cops, they have issues within their ranks where they're, they're discriminating against uh, black people. So and I don't so it's kind of hard for me to understand why uh, a black person would would um, issue oppression on on his people if he's a police officer, you know, or anybody for that matter. Anybody. Um, so the other thing is um, the, there's another myth I wanted to debunk is that, you know, all this, this the, the youth are, um, you know, the violence with the youth just. Started in Baltimore, you know, all of a sudden, youth just became violent. And when we, we were kids, that youth were violent. Let me tell you something. I'm, o- <laughs> I'm over 45 years old, okay? I grew up in the projects. I grew up in the, um, in the Murphy homes. And there was always violence in the Murphy homes. Now, the, the gun violence didn't start until the um, crack epidemic. You know, a lot of the guns, because as I said before, with, with drugs come guns, okay? So... The gun violence, I remember, because I remember when the crack, the crack epidemic began. It was a lot of money in crack, a lot of money in crack. And um, you had people, yeah, 16-year-olds with rimmed up cars and big gold chains on their necks and dating model chicks, you know, kids, you know, with all this money. And and I remember I had just got out, out of the Army. And um, this is back in the 80s. Um, uh, it was late 80s. And I just got out of the Army. And some guys that I was in the Army with, they wanted to set me up in the drug business. And I said, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not getting involved in anything illegal. I said, I already have an opportunity to do, you know, an apprenticeship. And I did that apprenticeship. And then here I am today, you know, where a lot of those guys are in the grave or they're in prison serving 50 years or more. So um, the, a lot of that, uh, anywhere in the world, you go to Mexico, go to Colombia, a lot of that stuff is associated with the drug trades. You know, you, you can't sell drugs in Baltimore and be a drug cartel without guns. So whatever they're shooting people for, as I said before, um, the, uh, you know, uh, they need drug. They need guns to sell drugs. Okay, so what I'm going to do, and again, callers, you got to be patient with me because I, I need to, uh, I need to make a few uh, points clear before we, uh, so we can have an intelligent conversation. But I tell you what, let's bring Leo on. Let's see what Leo has to say. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. Leo. Brother Tyrone Bose, wonderful show. Uh, <clears throat> I just want to make this observation with regard to the police department. 
Uh, on an earlier show this morning, I heard the police commissioner, Michael Harrison, um, acknowledge the fact that 76 cases of police misconduct were not investigated over the last two to three years by the Baltimore City Police Department. That being the case, <clears throat> that violates the letter and spirit of the consent decree. I want the police commissioner to lay out, and I have nothing against Michael Harrison because I think he's coming in new and he's trying to do a job that's difficult, but I want him to specify, to lay out a plan on how he's going to address, address internal affairs. How will he... Will he discipline? Will he suspend? Will he fire officers in internal affairs who refuse to do their job? Oh, so you're saying, so Mr. Leo, you're saying that um, that they deliberately let these things expire? They you, deliberately oh, really? let them expire. So That's you're saying obvious. that police Still can't be trusted. Hold on, hold up. You're saying that police can't be trusted to investigate themselves? I am saying <laughs> that the institution of policing is such that they cannot... They cannot at the the fox can't level, be gotten the, the command the level. They cannot be uh, expected. They cannot be expected to investigate themselves for sake of of covering up uh, their brothers. The, the 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 institutional racism that continues to exist in the department. Yes, I am saying that, and I'm going to continue to say that. Now, who should do it? Should the sheriff's department of Baltimore City do it? Well, they don't do anything. At least John Anderson, the sheriff, he doesn't even talk about crime, so he has nothing to say. He's a friend of Jack Young, et cetera, Mary Pat Clark. Uh, should the state police do it? <laughs> okay, the U.S. Uh, Marshal Service, who's going to be the investigator for the Baltimore City Police Department? Let's wrap it up. You close your statements, and I got other calls that want to come on. Let's give them an opportunity as well. appreciate I you calling, though. Um, Brother Leo, is that all you have? Okay, all right, all right. Okay, let's go to uh, Mark. Hey, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Hey. hey um, yeah, the um, issue like the video was from the commissioner and this tape that you were speaking on with Ma uh, Malcolm X and, you know, the Black Panther movement, they had the positive agenda what was going on that we, we suffer from today. you agree with that? Well, I I agree that the um, the Black Panthers um, and like as I said before, they they the the whole narrative of the Black Panthers was put out by the white media. They they their whole thing is about hating white people. It had nothing to do with that. They were formed uh, to fight against police brutality. And uh, if you look, if you do any research, you'll find out that they were called their entire name is the Black Black Panther Party for Self Defense. And Huey Newton, who who helped found it, he was a he he was a law student. And they were using what? their their right to bear arms to actually carry weapons. And what got them in trouble is they were they were they were not to be ignored. And they actually went up to the state state house with guns. And right. and so Ronald Reagan, who was governor at the time, he right. actually issued a law where you couldn't carry guns in public anymore. And that kind of diffused right. that a little bit. But that's the only, right. other than that, you probably could still carry guns in California if it wasn't for the Black right. Panther. They called it the Black Panther Law. Yeah, I've been up there to uh, yeah. I'm Oakland, sorry, California, and I've been to the uh, Marriott. College where he, they were studying that. Right. They named a, a, a hall after them, the Black Panther movement. <laughs> but the point is, with the police brutality thing, that's what they formed off. 
And right. he was bailing people so, out of jail. Yeah, my, my point so, is that the police brutality just didn't start with Trump. And the thing right. that makes it more clear now is because we have cameras to prove that it actually exists. Because right. a lot of people didn't believe it exists. Exists. Right. Unless you actually did so something. We're talking in theories. Right. right. Now the we got extra proof. What you saying, listen what he said today when he said about Pennsylvania North. Right. Today, today Commissioner, he said we can't distinguish through the, the decree why we can't get them for laudering and then without they forcing not to move. But that's going to be a problem. Let me say something about the dissent decree because I hear a lot of myths about this dissent decree thing. The, the only thing that the dissent decree uh, uh, forces them to do is not to bust you upside your head when they arrest you. It's it's it, it makes you, and a lot of people think the Constitution is important, but it is. It what it what it enforces is what's called constitutional policing. The, and, and a lot and, and and the worst thing for a black person to say is that the Constitution doesn't matter because it matters more to us than any other person because it's your only protection. It trumps everything. If you pardon the pun, it's your it's really your your only protection because. The Constitution is the only thing to stop the police from just walking up in your house searching searching you or just stopping you and pulling you over. They'll do it anyway. Oh, that's the yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so, huh? But do the police know what? See, it's well, like giving. Well, it gives us. We read the book and then you say, give me the myth and the facts out of the book. Right, so right. Regardless, let me say this. Regardless of, regardless of whether the police obey it, uh, one particular police obeys it, it gives a means to punish that person if he's found guilty or if or at least bring him to court and expose it you know at least you have a, a means of, of, of redress you know where whereas and in, in some countries the police just kick you up the butt and in front of witnesses and as you or a film and it wouldn't really, really matter let me but, say this wrong yeah go ahead. um kevin l cooper right that's not you're breaking up police kevin l cooper right the 14 year old boy that got killed by a police officer, a black officer, Roderick Miller. Right, right. We talked about that. Go ahead. Right. So he comes in and ransacked all the house. Through his whole report, he never say when he was under arrest. So how are you going to come from the backyard, run off to somebody's house, and never, to the day you killed them, say he was under the arrest for this? Well, I'll give you this. Uh, if you saw on, um, the, what was the movie with Denzel Washington? Um, God. Uh, he says, "Not what you, what you know is what you can prove." Okay, now as a, if you can prove that he actually did what you said he did, then it's a constitutional viol- It's a, a violation of your constitutional rights. Right. Now, I'm not saying that the police ain't gonna lie reports. They do it all the time. We know that. Right. But all I'm saying is that the Constitution gives you, you know, certain rights. Like it gives you me the right to, to speak on this radio, and and right. not worry about being locked up for saying something bad about Donald Trump, for instance. Yeah, freedom of speech, right, right. and freedom of petition, which, which is when we took our issue to city hall, it gave us that 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 freedom to speak. Do you, do you yeah. remember when? Uh, do you remember when Stoney Carmichael and Hurt and um and um, Greg Bram and all them came to Maryland and they came and they pulled up at the rally and they had rifles and everybody took off running and they said we got the right to bear arms. So the black folks didn't even know right, not knowing the constitution. Right. Can cause other people to to abuse your constitutional rights without you even realizing that, and it's every KKK's dream that you believe that the Constitution doesn't apply to you. So, and the Constitution, by the way, is written in plain English because most, if you do any research, most Supreme Court justices didn't even uh, have a law degree, you know, because there's no requirement to have a law degree to be a Supreme Court justice. Um, uh, 
So, but it's only a recent phenomenon that they all have. They all have. Since, let me let me finish. The last supreme. Let me finish. Let me finish. The last supreme court justice that had a, that didn't have a law degree. It happened during the FDR administration. Okay, so right. now from now on, you'll never see that again because we're obsessed with the notion that you have to have a law degree to, and from Harvard or Yale to be a supreme court justice. But there's nothing in the Constitution that says that. There's no requirement. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right, just like to be a, a politician, whether it's over 21. Right, to be the president of the United States, the only requirement, you don't have to have college. The only requirement is that you're um, a natural-born citizen of the United States, which is what Donald Trump was trying to prove that Barack Obama was. He, right. wasn't. And, or, with the birth of the movement, or um, that you're over the age of 35. I mean, and, and that you're over the age of 35. That's the only requirement. And people elect you, of course. But there's no other requirement to be president. You know, so that's what I'm saying. If you understand the Constitution, then... If you don't understand it, then the people that are trying to use it against you will, will use it against you. And um, uh, as far as, um, uh, you know, hey, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I lost I got, my talk. Go ahead. I'm, switch, I'm switching gears because uh, um, I ran into a business proposition with the uh, rehabbing of a property and the lady needs some help. Just give me your business number. Um, 410-978-6889. Okay, uh, uh, we're going to have to end this conversation because we got some more uh, business clean up, and then uh, we'll go to another clip. Okay, it's good. Thanks for calling in, bro. Call in next week. Um, okay, so um, what we were talking about, the, the other myth we wanted to debunk is that, that um, you know, the, all this violence, these kids are out of control, all this violence just started this year, and, um, you know, or, or it just started all of a sudden, and we, when we grew up, we didn't have violence. <laughs> Man, I lost track. Like I said, I grew up in Berkeley, I lost track of the amount of fights I've been in. Or, you know, go go watch um, a movie called um, uh, The Education of Sonny Carson. A lot of violence in that. Or or even Cooley High. Uh, there's a little bit of violence in there. But it, it shows that, you know, even in those days, don't let these old folks boo, BS you and say there wasn't violence. And any poverty-stricken neighborhood, that's going to be violence. And uh, or watch Boys Town. There's 4,000 boys in, in, a, in a, like a um, boys camp. They were juvenile delinquents, but they were all white. Okay? They were all white. So even with white people, there was violence in the past. They don't let them trick you. They're not angelic beings. As a matter, as a matter of fact, 77% of the people arrested in this country are white because they're the majority population. Okay, and, two, and, and more white people kill police than black people. Okay, um, and white people exceed blacks in, in uh, arrests in every category except three. I think one's murder. We do commit too many murders, and we, we need to cut that out. We really do. I'm not, I'm not making excuses for people to commit crime. We should commit no crime. But murder is definitely one we shouldn't be doing. And all of us aren't doing it. There's a small segment of our population that's doing it, and uh, not all of it, not all of it. I say again, not all of it, but the majority of this stuff is connected to business and, and, and drugs and drug culture and poverty and these poverty-stricken neighborhoods. As a matter of fact, they did a survey in Pittsburgh where they proved that, and high unemployment, by the way, that during the 90s when you had 10% of white people, real unemployment numbers, I'm not talking about apartment labor numbers, real unemployment numbers, you had 10% of white people um, that were um, unemployed. You had thirteen um, percent. You know, thirteen percent. Yeah, yeah. You had thirteen percent of them that were incarcerated. Okay, and, and by comparison, we had thirty-three percent of black people. Black people between the ages of twenty-two and and I believe thirty. You had um, th- something like thirty thirty-one percent um, incarcerated. So the figures follow the unemployment rate. So we come up with solutions for these problems. We need to understand that crime is connected to poverty. And as I said before, a study I read said, and I don't know if this is still true, 
that the unemployment rate for black males, age 16 64, 62% say in Winchester, okay? And uh, and the Gaza Strip for the Palestinians is like 61%. So, again, there's no peace there as well. Um, what, I, what I would like to do, and I don't know if I'm going to have time, is I, I'd like to um, play the clip of us being down at the, at the uh, city call hearing. And this is um, the hearing we have for the Dollhouse program. And one of the things we want to do is put people to work, ex-offenders and, and um, you know, long-term unemployed people to work, you know, restoring these houses and give them trade, you know, some real solutions, not just uh, BS. My name is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Tyrone Boast. I'm the president of Homes, homeownership, opportunity, and mentorship for economic success. Um, I would first like to acknowledge uh, Councilwoman Mary Pat Clark for her diligence, her hard work, and her dedication to the citizens of Baltimore. She actually met us on a Saturday twice about this issue, and uh, that does show concern for the citizen. Also, I would like to thank the people that are here to support this bill. Where y'all at? Okay. And I also would like to give thanks to all these petitioners, because we actually consulted the people in the neighborhood. We wanted to know how they felt about what was going on in their communities. Unlike a lot of these agencies, we actually consulted the people in the communities, okay? And we got almost a thousand names on these petition forms. Some of them are still out. So, and what the petition says is, to Mayor Pugh, the Baltimore City Council, Governor Hogan, the Maryland State Legislature, and the U.S. Congress, yes, I agree that we should, one, end the displacement of people from their neighborhoods, and in the destruction of their communities just to give land and taxpayer subsidies to developers and investors. Two, introduce the 1% interest renovation slash rebuilding loan dollar house, dollar lot program, because the house will be built from the ground up. For the individual citizen, as a fairest way to ensure funds earmarked for the community are used to help the people who actually live there with training, jobs, and home ownership. Number three, end the destruction of the remaining affordable housing stock in Baltimore, a city with a documented lack of affordable housing. And by, and by that I mean, uh, according to the uh, Urban Institute, for every 100 families that are looking for housing, there's only 43 units. And we're talking about destroying housing, affordable housing stock. And my brother's put together 15 of these vacant houses. And as soon as he gets, gets one done, he's putting people in them. You know, they can't wait to get in them. Matter of fact, I put uh, central AC systems in. I'm a, I'm a master plumber, master HVAC tech. I'm licensed uh, master gas fitter. Some other stuff, uh, you know, I cannot uh, talk about. But um, so I do have some experience in rehabbing uh, distressed homes, okay, as well as our coalition. A coalition is, is a group of contractors and uh, other subject matter experts. And um, what, what, what got us together was we saw on the news where Governor Hogan and, Steph and Mayor Stephanie Rollins-Blake, then mayor, said that they're, they're going to allocate $700 million to tear down houses in, in our communities. And um, we felt that there was a better way to spend this ta these taxpayer dollars. And uh, so we're offering up this grassroots. This is truly a grassroots program, okay? The citizens of Baltimore want this, as you can see by the attendance here. It's not crowded like this every day, I'm sure, when y'all have y'all meetings, is it? <laughs> so the way this is supposed to work, what we envision is, and I heard a whole lot of scuttlebutt about we, where we'll get the money from. I would say to you, obviously the money, if you got money to tear down houses, $700 million to tear down houses, the money is there. <laughs> also, we found money to, to, to uh, $660 million to give away for poor covenant. And I don't have a problem with that. I know development's important, but let's, let's throw a bone to the working class citizen once in a while. They pay taxes too. So, uh, another, another thing about this program is 
There's a training component. In our organization, we have electricians, okay? We have uh, master craftsmen of all, of all kinds. When we put these houses together, it's going to take carpenters, it's going to take plumbers, it's going to take electricians, it's going, it's going to take all kinds of craftsmen. The last time I worked for, I own my own business now, but the last time I worked for somebody as a plumber, a master plumber, I was making $35 an hour. Okay, we got, the problem with, one of the main problems that we don't understand in this city with the violence is that a lot of it is social economic in nature. If somebody, according to the Justice Policy Institute, Santa and Winchester has a, a near 50% unemployment rate for black males age 16 to 64. Okay, so, and if you take a man, put him in jail, and pay $38,000 a year to incarcerate him, then set him back on the street with no skills, what do you think is going to happen? Okay, so while he's waiting to recidivate, he's making our neighborhoods unsafe. Just slogging up people does not solve the problem when you're not dealing with the core issue of the problem. And, a lot, and, and in case you notice, we got a big drug um, cartel business running in Baltimore with the drugs come to guns. And it's not about race, go to Mexico, go to Colombia, same issue. Drugs come, you gotta have guns to sell drugs. And so whatever they're shooting people for, the reason they have the, the guns in the first place is so they can sell dope. So if, if we give people and incentivize people to go to work, then they don't have to um, dodge the thug and the police. Okay, so <clears throat> the drug deal, what I'm trying to say is the drug dealer shouldn't be the biggest employer in the neighborhood. And um, this is the thing that we're trying, and, and here's the other thing. Once you put that man on that street, you gave him a criminal record. So you almost made him unmarketable as far as getting a job. So that's the other thing this is meant to address, the ex-offender. You know, ex-offender are returning citizens. So we figure that, uh, let's, let's say you, okay, a dollar, it's gonna take more than a dollar to refurbish a house, all right? Let's, but the incentive is the 1% interest loan. And I think that's enough incentive to bring people out to buy a dollar house. I want one, you know? Y'all, anybody here want a dollar house? With 1% interest loans? Okay. So let's say it costs $100,000 to, just off the top of my head, $100,000 to renovate a house. At 1% interest, then if you use your mortgage calculator, you'll, find you'll have a $300 a month mortgage. That's quite affordable. I have a Chinese client. She's uh, bought 60 of these vacant properties. And every time, every, as soon as you get them done, two weeks later, she's got a tenant in there. There is a lack of affordable housing stock in the city where you get $1,200 a month to live in the hood. That's too much. That's more than my mortgage. So this will work. I don't, you know, all this stuff people are talking about, oh, nobody's going to live in these communities. They live them all the time because we restore these houses all the time. It's been going on. It's happening now. It's not going to stop if we don't get dollar house, but I hope we do because this is the voice of the people. We've got to start listening to the people. We just, I mean, and the reason we got the $700 million in the first place is because of the Freddie Gray riots. They announced it in Freddie Gray's neighborhood. And uh, as Dr. King said, a riot is the language of the unheard. So let's start listening to our citizens and let's try to, you know, let's try to make something happen that's, that works, that's been proven to work. Well, I, I will say, you know, I, I appreciate, we appreciate your, your diligence, your passion on this issue. I know one of the um, programs that you may reference to is the uh, core program, uh, creating opportunities for uh, renewal and enterprise, and that is uh, from the Maryland state government. So what you have is a number of entities, whether it be Baltimore City and then also nonprofits who are doing neighborhood development, who are applying for some of those funds to do things like demolition. One of the challenges we have in Baltimore is that we do have some, some housing stock that has passed the point of being 
getting uh, rehab. Some houses are in such a deep disrepair that they're really impacting some of the houses on particular blocks. And so you look at some development projects that are on board. So part of it is the demolition. Part of it is also for renovation and some of those other projects. That's not money coming from Baltimore City. I just want to be clear about that. So that's not money that we have to pull out. That's money for, you know, from the state. So I just want to be clear about that. But I, I, but I did want to ask a question um, about... Um, can I your, answer that question you just... The it wasn't you, a question. You just made. The point you just made. Can I address oh, that? Yeah. Okay. We realize that that's state money. We get it. We understand that. So Holmes as a coalition has actually met with state delegates in reference to this. Okay. One of the persons that we met was, with was... Uh, uh, Delegate McIntosh, Maggie McIntosh, who is the chair of the Appropriations Board for the state legislature. She said that these, there is a way to divert some of these funds. If, if It just takes work. It just work. The stuff we're talking about takes work. People don't want, I get it, people don't want to do work. We don't want to do our jobs. We want a job, we don't want to do it. Go ahead, sir. My question is about the, the 15 houses that you've done. So is that, that's the totality. And then where, whereabouts are they? Um, because thinking about it, we talked about in terms of housing. Are they uh, on a single block? Are they scattered? I'm just trying to get a little clarity on terms of the 15 houses you mentioned earlier. Some, some, well, my brother is buying these houses all over the city. And he's, he's been restoring them. And, but my clients, I have clients too. I run a, I run a plumbing, heating, and cooling business. Okay. Uh, one of my clients is an Asian lady. Uh, and she's bought like 60, she wants to buy 100 houses, okay? She's bought 60 already, and she's restored them, okay? And so this can be done, and they're all over the city. It's not on a certain block. It's, I mean, but people want housing so, I mean, I'm sorry, it isn't a certain block. People want housing so bad that as soon as you get these houses done, they're moving in them. They want to know when they can be rented. And the other thing about this program is, if you're paying $300 a month for a mortgage, there shouldn't be high hurdles to you getting that loan. Okay, that's the things that traditionally have kept, uh, I'm just say what it is, black folks from getting houses in the city, especially what happened with the um, housing crisis that we just had and all the predatory lending that went on in Baltimore City. I just want, I, got, I had 10 good reasons, but I think I just about covered all of them that, that this program was for. The other thing about this that I, that I did miss to say, if you take $94 million and demolish 4,000 houses over four years, which is what I read in the Sun paper that they intend to do, that as Mayor Blake and, and uh, Governor Hogan announced in Santa Winchester. You if just simple with division, you come up with $23,500 to tear down one house. So for each house you save with the Dollar House program, you already saved $23,500 that you ain't got to tear it down. In addition to the tax revenue that you're going to get. And, and, and by the way, first and foremost, we're not asking for anything. This is a loan program for working class people. You will get the money back with interest. So don't think we're out here trying to beg for money. No, lend us some money, we'll restore the city, we'll train young men in the trades, and we'll do what we have to do. And then, then get out of our way. You know, there, there was one, one piece, and just want to be clear about it. We talked about, you know, um, displacement, destruction, and thinking about affordable housing. One of the points I think we need to also focus on in the city is that we have a whole glut of housing. I mean, part of the challenge is that we've lost a significant population. We've gone from 950,000 down to 614,000. Those people didn't take those houses with them. I, we have a house that has been vacant for 10 and 20 years. I, so, so some of those houses, again, albeit need to be demolished, but then some could and should be redeveloped for home ownership. And I think that's the key point we'll look at, affordable home ownership within our communities. And I have a contract as a member of our coalition that's going to address, you know, the restorability of these houses and how it can be done. Okay. But um, as far as what you're saying is the population decline, Baltimore has been in decline um, when, for la during the last outhouse program, which was a success. And because... In a targeted neighborhood. 
that's the other thing too. Sure. In targeted neighborhoods Calcum. close to close to downtown. I think that was the other piece too that um, looking at where those houses were, there were the places that were clear for the highway. Buy a dollar house that's not near the not near the harbor. Hello. All right. So what we're saying is that the people that I spoke to in these communities with all these petition forms, they come from all over Baltimore. Right. They're not interested in living downtown. Right. But they want this program. Uh, Councilman Clark had a comment or a question. So you've heard what the agencies had to say. We, I've certainly heard what you've been saying and talking about and doing, and I'm very excited about it. After tonight, I mean, I think we've demonstrated the interest. You've, demonstra you've demonstrated the interest. We need to work with these agencies to get this going. Absolutely. Is that, are you game for that? I'm game for working with whoever I got to work with to make this a reality and save this city. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Is it, Thank you. Is there another member of your coalition who wanted to, wanted to speak? Councilman Henry. That's, I, there, I, I, did, I feel obliged to offer one note of caution, which is I think that it would be great to bring back the Dollar House program, and I think we can do that. I think it's a mistake to try to act like the way to do it is to take the demolition money that the governor has wanted to give us to do demolition and use it for this. I, I say that it's a mistake for two reasons. One is that's money that he wants to give the city for a purpose that the city has asked for because there are neighborhoods where there are houses where the people who live in those neighborhoods want those houses demolished. Okay, hold on, hold on. wait, 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 wait. Bear with me. Bear with Stay me. In order, people. Bear with me. We've heard, a, we've heard a lot of good things tonight about the Dollar House program, and there are lots of houses in the city that would be good prospects for a Dollar House program. A lot of the houses that are targeted for demolition would not be good targets for a Dollar House program because they have been vacant and abandoned for so long that they are now in need of so much renovation, it wouldn't be cost effective to renovate them, not even for an individual person trying to do it themselves. The, and, and I say this, you know, my, my colleagues know, before I was on the council, I was in community development, I rehabbed, I worked for a nonprofit that rehabbed houses over in Patterson Park. There are houses that it just does not make monetary sense for an individual person to rehab them without some kind of subsidy or, or gap funding. And that would be something else we would need on top of a dollar house program. So all I'm saying, I'm not saying don't do this. I'm not saying don't wanna do this. I'm just, I'm, what I'm saying is let's focus on doing a dollar house program as opposed to focusing on not doing the demo program. They're two different things. Can, can I address that? Um, from what I've read, and I, I'm not as smart as anybody on, on this council, but- Oh, don't please, from, don't even. <laughs> from, from, from what I've read about this thing, 94 million is supposed to tear down 4,000 houses over four years. Then 600 million is supposed to be subsidies for developers. So Wait. I'm talking about the $700 million that Governor Hogan announced in Santa Winchester. There's 600 million, that's the way they broke it down. I mean, if dollars. you Google it, it okay. you, you can get it off Google. 95 but, uh, million. <laughs> 95 million was for the um, demolition. demolition. Now the, rest, yes. now the rest of it, uh, 600,000 was supposed to be for rate 600 redevelopment. Million. 
to commit. Okay. All right. So that's where that's where the money comes from. So if you must demo some houses, do so, but you still have six hundred million dollars left to give away to developers. So why not use it for the citizens? Where's the six hundred million to give away? A, to, a, a are you lot. talking about Port Covington? No, that's no. a separate issue. But they're talking about all these develop. Like there'll be an announcement tomorrow. You have uh, entities, nonprofits that have sought for funding, similar to what you talked about, to do neighborhood developments. So they've come through with applications Bernie? and yeah. Well, no, no, um, okay. talking about core. So I mean, there there are different stages oh, of it. Okay, so, so part of it is demolition. Part of it is also um, in, in terms of the redevelopment of those uh, projects. Okay. Yeah. So we have one in West Baltimore. We have a few coming up. Okay. All right. Um, you had other members. I, I have other members, but I'm gonna close by saying not only why why do I believe this will be a success, because I, I think this is gonna be probably have to be a lottery to give these houses away, and not only that, it's going to spur development because you have something to build next to. There's gonna be plenty of houses left. We want to get seven thousand houses, but there's sixteen thousand vacants and like fourteen thousand lots. Last time somebody counted. So there's plenty for the developers. We're not trying to take all the money, but they they are. So. We're just suggesting, <laughs> just, just throw us a bone. Just throw us a bone, that's, 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 that's all we say. Just show the working class person a bone, please. It's in the midst of all this development. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Good evening, I guess. Good evening. Hello, everyone. And, um, Mr. Bose asked me to uh, come up here and speak of my uh, experience and expertise in uh, home remodeling. I've been doing this for 23 years, all over Baltimore. I've never lived anywhere else. I live in Baltimore, in one of those dilapidated neighborhoods on uh, Division Street, 1900 block. 1900 block of Division Street. I've remodeled my house. It's the best house in the neighborhood. <laughs> People walk by my house and stare at it. These houses can be refurbished. Um, they're row houses. They're built to last. They're built to stand. Uh, one house holds up the next. If the next house isn't fell, hasn't fallen down, you can rebuild the one in between. They did, it in Fel they did it in Federal Hill. They did it in uh, Ellicott City. They do it all over Baltimore. So when people say these houses cannot be redone, I don't see it. I do it all the time. I do it every day. I'm doing it today. Tomorrow, I'll be doing it. With the houses in Baltimore, Silver Spring, Pasadena, all over Baltimore, I've worked. I, I did some of the houses in Federal Hill. Those houses are so small, they charging two, $300,000 to remodel those houses when you could easily do it for a lot less. It's not, uh, it's not that we're asking for an exorbitant amount of money to remodel houses that should be remodeled anyway, and the people that live there shouldn't be forced to move so that developers can come in and build bigger houses to sell to people that have money. Because we, ha we don't have the money. We don't have the money to buy those houses that they're, they're building in my neighborhood, two blocks from my house. They tore down a, a whole, whole block and rebuilt it. We can't afford those. A dollar house program will give people the opportunity to own a house that they've been renting for years. It would give someone who don't even imagine owning a house the opportunity to own a house. And 
For $100,000, yeah, we could do it. The whole house. It could be torn up. Me and my partner, we do it every day. I think that uh, it's more business oriented to give it to a bigger company, but we, we have to eat too. I struggle to make a living as a business owner in Baltimore. Marine Corps, I've been at Marine Corps, I work for hundreds of jobs. I have licenses in carpentry, welding. I think this is a great program. I'm behind it 100%. Me and my company. Well, sir, I just wanted to say that, that we thank you for the work you're doing. Um, one of the things that comes across of what you're saying, and, and we've talked about this amongst ourselves as well, that we definitely want to see opportunities for home ownership, opportunities for folks to invest in their communities and do that do that uh, work that you've been doing. And again, we recognize, and even uh, my colleague next to me mentioned earlier, that oftentimes it's the smaller developer, or the sm individual has a challenge, and again, we see more of the mid-sized developers who have an opportunity. So we want to work creatively with housing um, to make sure there are opportunities that will be available. So thank you for sharing uh, your, your testimony. Uh, well. Also, I, I, I think we're making this too complicated. You know? We're making this too complicated. A person wants to buy a house, you're willing to sell it to them for a dollar, you give them a loan, they get a contractor, they have a house. It's as simple as that. It's developers, developers, they want money, they need money. You know, they need to do this, they need to do that. I'm a contractor, all I need to do is for you to tell me what I need today. You, you get your own loan. You can go to the bank. I've did 203Ks. I've did all types of loans. And I know hundreds of contractors that'll do the same thing. Like I said, I, I just think it's way too complicated. Too much bureaucratic mess. Th thank you for your testimony. It's too much. Okay, and Jason. Like I said, I've lived in Baltimore okay, all my life. Started from the east side to the west side. Let him, let him and, uh, let it's all the same. It doesn't matter what area you go in, it seems like they're developing the areas where people have money. They're not looking in the areas where we live at. No, I'll, I'll say as somebody who represents West and Southwest Baltimore, you and some of the neighborhoods you're talking about, I, I definitely feel what you're saying. Uh, okay, Baltimore, another exciting edition of the Call Tyrone Show. And uh, what you just heard was our, our, our testimony, the Homes Coalition testimony at the city uh, council hearing and in front of a packed uh, city council. Um, and all we're asking for is that they restore these houses. You know, it's, it's almost criminal to destroy houses that you took from people and transfer wealth from one world, being the black world to the white world, through predatory lending. And then uh, they, these, the, you know, whites are getting their loans again, but there's still um, hurdles for black people to get loans. They're not lending out as many loans as they were uh, to black folks So we're being punished For being preyed upon And uh, a lot of people Don't realize that And people are using All kinds of techniques There was one issue where A woman had to use Her half white Half Japanese friend To get a loan Who had a worse job Than she had She worked part time And still got the loan Where she had a professional job At a hospital And couldn't get the loan Okay so we're gonna have To end this Join us next uh, Monday For another Exciting edition Of the Call Tyrone Show Next Monday at 10 o'clock On WLB 1010 Thank you for your time B Baltimore and WERQ FM HD3 Baltimore brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel. Foreclosure. If foreclosure